Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. What's moral or immoral, or even if there is such a thing as immoral, people are evolving in their sense of what's right and wrong, or even if there is anything that's wrong. They're not evolving. If anything, they're devolving. We're going the wrong direction in all this. So they substitute men's ever-expanding, evolving ideas and opinions for God's everlasting, unchanging law. As we move into chapter 7 of the book of Mark, we begin a study Pastor Sam has entitled Defiled. Looking at the first 23 verses of this chapter, we are focusing on Jesus' teaching on what truly defiles a person. So let's listen in. Mark 7, 1 through 23, the title Defiled. Here in chapter 7, we read in verse 1, then the Pharisees, and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. That's a 70-mile trek, by the way. There were no Ubers, and there were no trains, and there were no, well, you pretty much walked it. And, uh, and so they, they went through considerable um, hardship, if you will, to seek him out and to address him. And we're going to look at what they came for and how he deals with it. So it says some of the Pharisees, the most conservative of the religious gang there in Israel, the scribes, these guys were part-time lawyers, part-time writers. And so uh, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is unwashed hands, they found fault. I just want to say there's nothing easier to do than to catch somebody doing something you wouldn't do and find fault with them or catch them doing something you often do, but not in the same way you do it and find fault with them. Not doing things our way shouldn't really be a problem to us. And there are so many examples of it in our culture and even in our churches there are some, they're like, why don't you guys sing more hymns? And there are others who are like, why do you sing some of those old hymns? And I'm, I'm like, we worship the Lord. I, I mentioned this, I think, last week. A sure cure for um, a, a critical spirit in worship is to actually engage in worshiping the Lord. <laughs> That's what we do. We gather to worship Him. And if you're thinking about anything but Him in worship... Well, that's a hindrance to your worship. It's not helping you. It's robbing him because he is worthy of our praise and adoration. Well, they see some of Jesus' disciples eating without washing their hands, and they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands. These words are important in a special way holding to the tradition of the elders. These guys didn't just wash before they ate. They did it in a prescribed and ritualistic and, and very meticulous fashion. They wanted to make sure they were doing everything just right. And then it says when they came from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. And there are so many other things which they have received and hold like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Now, Old Testament says, those who compare themselves with one another are 
not wise. In the case of these religious leaders, it reveals a self-righteous, critical, condemning spirit that, that, that led to some not-so-subtle insinuations and ultimately to some slanderous accusations. I believe these guys would have found fault even if the disciples had washed. They would have watched to say, oh, they didn't use the right amount of water. Or they didn't get their hand in the right positions. They didn't do it in the proper... The, the point is, if you're looking to find fault, that's going to be easy. You're going to find it. Years and years ago, I think decades ago, a friend of mine, Bill Fedorko, told me a story about, a, it was an old Western story because Bill's an old Western kind of guy. And he said, a, a guy comes into town and, and he rides in and he meets somebody and he goes, hey, so what's this town like anyway? And he's like, well, tell me a little bit about the town you came from. And he said, oh, people there were just harsh and rude and, and it was just a horrible place to live. And he said, well, I think you're going to find this town a lot like that. And then he has another guy ride by and, and stop and say, hey, what's this town like? He goes, well, tell me a little bit about your town. What was it like? And he says, man, people were loving and giving and generous and kind and all this stuff. And he's like, I think you're going to find this town to be a lot like your town. The point is this. We find what we expect to see. And if we're looking for good in people, well, we're going to find it. If we're looking for something to find fault with, well, listen, walk with me down the hall and back and, and you'll find something you could say, did you know Pastor Sam? He, people say hi to him and sometimes he doesn't even respond. Sometimes they, they, they smile at him and he doesn't smile back. Well, you don't have to walk down the hall with me. Just walk down the hall toward me and you'll experience that. Why? Because I'm thinking... I'm not socializing. I'm thinking about where I'm heading, what I'm going to do, and what's going to happen after. So all of that to say this. If you have a critical spirit, this is a, a wonderful day for you. Why? Because you can repent of that. You can confess it during communion. You can ask forgiveness for it. You can ask God to cleanse you from it and then give you power over it so you can see people through his eyes. Well, then the Pharisees and scribes, verse 5, ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? It's the second time they use this phrase, the tradition of the elders. The tradition they're speaking of is an oral expansion of God's commands and principles. It began as an attempt to merely define or clarify what God might have meant by something as simple as keep the Sabbath holy, you know, a day of rest type thing. And all of a sudden they have like dozens of rules and regulations and restrictions with if, which if with you, you broke any of them, well, you had violated the Sabbath law. Not God's Sabbath law because his command was simple. Easy to understand, even easy to obey. They added to, and the scripture warns us in Deuteronomy and again in Revelation, don't add to God's word, don't take away from God's word. So again, they come, God gives these laws and these principles to guide and bless and protect his people. They added so much to them, they became heavy burdens, burdens they couldn't carry themselves and no one else would ever be able to 
there. So, so, so far, they came, they saw, they found fault, they complained, and then they asked a question I'm pretty sure they wish they hadn't asked. What's the question? They said, well, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? They could have stopped there because whatever followed wasn't going to matter. His answer was going to be the same. He answers and says to them, verse six, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? I, I picture, you know, some of them standing there together and, and he's like, I told you not to ask that. But uh, anyway, that's what would be happening in my little crowd. So well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Their words, their praise were insincere. Their hearts were far from them. Their worship vain and empty. Their doctrines were of men, not him. And the problem with this is, well, there are multiple problems with this. They substituted men's ever-expanding, I think the popular word today is evolving. People are evolving in their sense of what's moral or immoral, or even if there is such a thing as immoral. People are evolving in their sense of what's right and wrong, or even if there is anything that's wrong. They're not evolving. If anything, they're devolving. We're going the wrong direction in all this. So they substitute men's ever-expanding, evolving ideas and opinions for God's everlasting, unchanging law and principle. Over time, they elevate their, their uh, traditions to be on par with God's word. And then as time goes on, well, now you need to understand God's word through the lens of those traditions. And that made man's word above or put man's word above God's law. He says they were laying aside, verse 8, the commandment of God and in its place holding the tradition of men. So we have the tradition of the elders, the tradition of the elders. He reminds us now you're laying aside God's commandment to keep and hold the traditions of mere men. Washing of, of pitchers, cups, and many other such things you do. Now, God's law was simple, clear, understandable, straightforward. There was nothing difficult about it. In fact, every Jewish parent taught every Jewish child the Ten Commandments. We still do that today, and we're not even Jewish. We do it because we believe the whole Bible is God's word. In fact, there's a song we, we, uh, we used to do. It's called the Perfect Ten. How many of you guys even know that song? We're not going to sing it. Don't worry. But, but, you know, it just says number one. No, I'm not going to sing it. Number one. Yeah, maybe I will sing it. No. Anyway, it says, number one, we've just begun God's word. God must be first in your life. Number two, the idol rule. Those heathen images aren't nice. And anyway, it goes on and on and on. Excellent song. Your kids know it. Have them teach it to you. So anyway, I'm hope they're, hoping they still do it in there. So, so here, here's a, the shortest summary of those Ten Commandments. And, and, and tell me which of these is difficult to grasp. He says, he starts by saying, worship God alone. Don't make or worship idols. Revere and respect his name. Keep his Sabbath holy. Honor your father 
and mother. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie about your neighbor, and then don't covet anything that's his. They turned those 10 simple, clear, and actually so, so practical commandments into hundreds and hundreds of little rules and regulations. So it's kind of like, in fact, there's a direct parallel here, except for the original here wasn't as good, so it's not a direct parallel. But anyway, our state legislature, I don't know if you're aware of it, what they primarily do down in Sacramento is they sit around trying to figure out more laws that they can pass. And every one of them, while the intention of laws is supposed to be to protect the innocent and punish the guilty, or at least protect the innocent from the guilty, well, every law they passed has a cost, not just financially, but in, in other ways too. And so Google it sometime, please don't do it now, but sometime just Google it and, and say, how many laws you know, have they passed? Well, you can't ask a question that long. I don't know how Siri deals with those long questions, but, but anyway, how, how many laws were passed in the California state legislature last year? And you will be shocked. And then if you read them, you're like, you're kidding. There's a law against that and a law against that. You will find out if you look at the laws of men, you're breaking some of them every single day. And, and if they can figure out that there's one you're not breaking well, or you're not breaking any, they'll make some more for you. Uh, and so that's kind of what these guys were doing, you see. They were taking something God gave to direct and bless and guide and, and care for his people and they were saying, yeah, but you need to, and 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 it's never ending. Now, they turned the 10 into hundreds and hundreds. How does God respond to that? He says, listen, let's simplify. I think he did this for guys. I honestly do. I'm pretty sure women can remember 10 things. I know Pam thinks I should be able to because I can be going down the stairs. She's in a boot right now, by the way, sprained her ankle real bad. So, you know, it's hard to get up and down. I'm, I'm pretty much her full-time driver. If you have a long black car and a hat, I'd like to borrow that. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm going up and down the stairs. And as I'm going down the stairs, she says, hey, while you're down there, can you grab? And she, she says this and this and this and this. And when she gets to the fifth thing, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got to get out my phone and my notepad so we don't have to yell up and down the stairs. And I, if you think I'm kidding, absolutely not. And uh, when I'm going to the store, she thinks I could remember a dozen things. I can't even remember three things. Well, I can remember coffee because you can't live without it. I can remember gas because I don't want to run out of it. And then usually there's one other thing that's absolutely essential some kind of chocolate or something. But, but anyway, she has a whole different kind of list, right? And, and then it's all stuff I don't know where any of it is. But anyway, that's another story for another time. That's when we get to the marriage thing. But uh, the point I'm making is God simplified for us. He said, listen, Ten, you're, you're doing pretty good, but let's make it easier on you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. These two, well, if you'll do those, you don't have to worry about the others. Why? Love does no harm to one's neighbor. 
That's why the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Then you don't have to remember, okay, I'm only supposed to love God and I'm not supposed to make idols and I'm not supposed to, to worship idols. If you love God, you're not going to do those things. If you love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, you don't need a whole list of what you shouldn't be doing as a husband or what you must do to prove your love to her. You just love her and all the things that we're going to talk about or see at least at the end of this study as he gives 13 specific sins. I believe they were guilty of them and some of us are guilty of some of them, but all of them could be dealt with by just saying, Lord, I just need to learn to love you with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. I need to learn to love my neighbor as myself. I need to learn to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I need to learn to love my enemies and pray for them and do good to them. And if we get that lesson today, then all the other difficult things, they will just fade away. Well, he says to them, verse 9, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. So the tradition of the elders, the tradition of the elders, the tradition of men, and now your tradition. Now, traditions aren't all bad. We have family traditions. We have cultural traditions. We have national traditions. And in the midst of that, we celebrate birthdays and milestones, holidays, victories, tragedies. And there's nothing wrong with any of that unless we're substituting that for, well, celebrating the Lord. You know, he gave Israel seven feasts and festivals to celebrate every year. Three of them were mandatory if you lived close enough to Jerusalem to get to them. It was Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. By the way, those three and the other four like them all point to and are fulfilled in Jesus. That's why we're not hung up on them but they were celebrations for them. They weren't just a tradition, though they celebrated them as if they were. They were actually given by God to bless his people, to remind them of all he'd done for them and to give them a teaching tool so each generation that followed would understand what God had done in delivering them and caring for them and providing for them and protecting them and well, fulfilling all his promises to Abraham in them. So he continues on. Moses said, honor your father and your mother. He chooses one specific command of Moses. It's in the big 10. And he says, he who curses father or more, let him be put to death. By the way, honor, it means respect, revere, and when necessary, repay. Your parents will always be due your respect. You should always give them reverence. You should always defer to them. Now, if you're a parent and you have teenagers, especially older teens, and once they're out of the house, this is an absolute. It's, you need to wait for them to ask for advice to give it. And, and you have it, right? You have all the wisdom. You can see all the mistakes they're about to make. You made them. You're trying to help them avoid them. So, so here's the thing. If you're giving them advice they're not asking for, I can almost guarantee they're not listening. 
And I want to say, listen, if you're younger, ask your parents, hey, here's what I'm going through. Here's the decision I'm trying to make. What do you think I should do? And, and listen, they may surprise you. They may say, well, you're an adult now. That's an adult decision. If I were you, I would pray and seek the Lord on it. There's wisdom there because if you tell them what to do and it goes poorly, they blame you. I think that's one reason some actually ask. But if things go well, then you're like, see that? You should always ask me. And, and the bottom line is what we're trying to do is raise the next generation of people who walk with the Lord, who listen to the Lord and walk in obedience to his commands, who love him and love people. It's pretty simple and straightforward. Respect them, revere them, and when needed, if necessary, repay them. Why? Well, as people in that culture, at least, and it's true in ours as well, as people in their culture, which was primarily agricultural, aged, the work became harder and harder for those who were aging. When you have little children, you do everything for them, but you begin to teach them as soon as you can how to do for themselves and for one another, how to participate in the work of a family. And then as they grow up, and you age and they grow up more and you age more. In those days, it's true today in farming at least. Family farm was called that for a reason. It was the family farm. And so the picture here is the parents are getting older and they're needing some help. And the kids are like commanded, make sure you don't only respect and revere, but you repay. Make sure you care for them practically. Honor actually means that. In scripture, it's not the only meaning, but it means that. So he shows what they were doing instead. They thought they found a loophole and a way to avoid something that God was so clear on. You say, verse 11, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down and many such things you do. They were nullifying God's command, replacing it with this loophole created by mere men. So what is this actually saying? The word Corban means dedicated to God. So what they would do, dad and mom would care for them. They got older, they're semi-retired or retired completely. And the kids are taking care of them. And all of a sudden they're like, you know, I know you have a need. And I really like, we really want to help. I mean, we prayed about it, but the problem is this. We dedicated everything we have to God. So we really don't have anything left for you. It seems unimaginable but it really isn't, happens all the time today. I said people aren't dedicating it to God. They have it tied up in mortgages and, and vacations and, and memberships and all sorts of other things. We really like to help you. There's just no way for us to do it. This was God's program, by the way, to take care of those who were older and, and needed help. There wasn't a, 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 a net, a social net, in the, um, in the government, because the government was still a part of the community of God. And, and so people did pitch in. Nobody had to ask them. If someone saw someone in need, they would help them. 
So all of that to say they were nullifying God's commandments by replacing them with men's commandments. When I consider what Pastor Sam said about man's evolving opinions of what is right or wrong, I cannot help but think about Proverbs 14:12, where it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Why does the way of death seem right to us? Well, the word stupidity comes to mind, but that's not so nice. And besides, the Bible says it is because we can deceive ourselves. From 1 Corinthians 3, we read, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.